What's up everyone and welcome to episode 140 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and find out what makes them tick. Um, Episode 140, kicking off 2020, really, really fucking stoked on that. Uh, this is the first episode of a new year and a new decade as well, so thank you everyone for coming back, sticking around and if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome, happy new year. Um, my name is Tim Birkbeck, I am the host of this show. Um, yeah, just, it's nuts to think that this is now technically the third year this podcast has been going. Um, it's nice that we're starting the year on an even number, and a nice round number as well, 140. Um, and we're kicking the year off with a fucking rad-ass guest as well, so hopefully that is an indication of how things are going to be going for the rest of the year um in regards to that full transparency before we get fully involved in this week's episode um some of you may or may not know but at the end of last year uh, i quit my my job so i know well currently as of this moment as i'm recording this um no longer have a day job um but i have been sort of booking a lot more of the tour management sort of side of things so hopefully that's going to kind of be picking up a bit more throughout the year um so that means obviously i'll be out on the road a lot more so there will be periods where this show isn't going to be coming out as regularly as it used to i.e once a week um the plan is obviously to tie the tour managing in with recording some episodes so whoever i'm out on the road with will hopefully be guests on the show but obviously driving editing whatever isn't an ideal situation so it'll be a case of sort of getting back editing when i can you don't need to know all this but i'm just rambling um however that being said i will still endeavor to get these shows out as and when i can um there won't be any sort of change to the content it may be just the frequency of how often these episodes are kind of put out um but I still absolutely love doing this show and that's not going to change. I'm still looking and booking guests, hopefully um, having someone in for next week and then already potentially got one in for towards April because that's when they're coming over to this country. So, yeah, it's still going to be the same old show, just may not be as often. That's all I'm saying. Um, But that being said, let's get into our first guest of 2020. Uh, and this week I'm joined by fun vocalist Kat uh, Lanzello. Um, during the discussion, me and Kat talk about how her older sister kind of got her into sort of the whole punk music scene, uh, how she wanted to kind of be in a band to give something back to the punk hardcore scene when she kind of got involved in that. Um, but then at one point in her life got ostracised by that scene and kind of felt very jaded and rejected. rejected sorry by what had happened um and now obviously with fun that how they're kind of finding things positivity in sort of negativity especially sort of surrounding the whole sort of political climate and not just in the us but in sort of the world and europe in general and that's something that cat discusses when uh discusses finding out sorry when the band came over to europe finding out how fuck the world is in general so yeah um also just a quick note that there uh to mention there is sort of discussions around sexual and mental abuse uh this is an issue that 
Cat was kind of involved in um, regarding quite a prominent US hardcore band. Um, so we go quite deep into into that during the talk. So if you're affected by any of those things, this is just a warning now that those discussions are had in this conversation. Um, but apart from that, please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Cat, and I'll see you on the other side. Uh, so, joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is vocalist of uh, Denver hardcore punk band Thumb, uh, Kat Lanzello, if I got that right? Yes, you got yes. it. Yes, nailed it. Perfect. Kat, yes. thank you very much for, for joining me on what is the first Justin Insight of 2020. So, very, very honoured to have you here. How How's everything stateside? Um, it's good. It's going to be a really busy 2020 for us as a band. So I'm very excited about this year. Perfect. Well, as I always do, just before we sort of go into it officially, I always sort of give you a briefing. And as I say, we are called Justin Insight. So we go back to the the roots, the origins of, of my guest story. So Kat, what kind of got you into alternative music and punk music? What was your first exposure of it? Yeah, I have uh, the most amazing older sister. She's three years older than me. And um, she started getting into punk and hardcore when she was in probably beginning of high school. And so I was at the beginning of middle school, so about sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And uh, she started introducing me to like bands like Green Day and Weezer and stuff like that really young. And then as soon as I hit high school... um, she, I was talk. She, she always said to me growing up um, that she always thought I was going to be a nun, even though I wasn't religious, <laughs> because I was like a really good kid. Yeah. Um, and I didn't. I never smoked or drank or anything like that. And so she told me when I was a freshman in high school, she's like, "I think you're straight edge." <laughs> I was like, what's that? And so she explained it to me and handed me an Earth Crisis CD. Brilliant. And. Um, So that was really kind of the pivotal moment was like my freshman year of high school. And so then she started introducing me to more like kind of emo bands and punk bands and stuff like that. Um, I grew up outside of Chicago, so I grew up with bands like Alkaline Trio and Braid. And and I never fully got into like hardcore until I was in college, but I really loved Snapcase. Snapcase was one of my favorite bands in high school. And so it's really all due to my sister. Yeah. <laughs> if my sister didn't exist, I have no idea where I would be. I was like still listening to Criss Cross in like sixth grade and New Kids on the Block. And she was like, you need to listen to better music. <laughs> so yeah, she was a huge part of it. So was, was she quite into sort of like the hardcore punk side of things then? She, she was. She's definitely more of a punk kid. Um, she's a huge riot girl. Right. Um, I did not understand that when I was like a freshman in high school sophomore in high school I didn't quite understand it until I got to like my 20s yeah um but she was way into like like Bikini Kill was one of her favorite bands and and L7 and stuff like that so she was she was very into very much more into punk than hardcore yeah um and I kind of started going to punk shows that hardcore bands played because in Chicago that was how like a lot of the local shows were there would be punk shows that hardcore bands would play and I thought it was all I mean it is all the same thing but I was like this is all punk yeah and then I learned about this like sub genre called hardcore and I was like this 
is interesting. It's separate, but okay. Yeah. So you, <laughs> you mentioned kind of that getting given like the, the uh, Earth Crisis CD and stuff. So yeah. was that kind of for you the sort of latching on point when you kind of veered off from what your sister was showing you to kind of going off and discovering your own stuff? Um, it took like a couple more years for me because she was still in high school. She was still the one driving me around. Um, and then when she went to college and I got my own car, um, that's when I started going to shows on my own. And that's when I started kind of finding more stuff on my own. And so it was probably like sophomore year, like another year later was when I started finding my own music. Yeah. So what was, yeah. what would you say is kind of the first like band that was your, your own discovery and one that you <laughs> kind of like de- delved into a bit? Um, <laughs> um, I, I, I would probably say, I would probably say Alkaline Trio. Okay. Um, and that's partly because, well, I mean, it was really Tuesday, which was Dan from Alkaline Trio's band before Alkaline Trio. Right. Okay. They were my favorite band in the whole world. Um, and they were like, it was like them and the Get Up Kids were like the bands that were everything to me because I was this like angsty teenager who was like constantly getting my heart broken and they like wrote all these songs about heartbreak and I was like this this these songs are written for me <laughs> so I think it was kind of like bands like that and then because I loved the get up kids I saw braid and you know it's like it built on itself yeah but Tuesday was probably Tuesday was probably where most of that came out of um because if it wasn't for Tuesday, I probably wouldn't have heard Alkaline Trio. Yeah. Um, and then stuff like that, so. And Yeah. Because <laughs> obviously, I'm, I'm kind of jumping forward a little bit, but obviously now yeah. you're sort of in bands and stuff, and you said your sister's obviously was a big influence. So is she still very much kind of into punk and stuff? She is. She is. Um, she, my my sister is honestly like the coolest person in the world. Okay. She is the um, artistic director or creative director for Magic the Gathering. Oh my god, that um, is awesome. I know, right? She's super cool. Um, and so, yeah, she's still into punk and stuff. I think like her tastes have kind of, she's definitely grown up um, more than I have with regards <laughs> to like, she listens to like kind of I don't know, we call it, like, dad punk, like, you know, Dinosaur Jr., yeah, yeah. or, like, you know, like, Quicksand and stuff like that is, like, older person punk. Yeah. She's very much, like, that kind of person, um, while I still think I am, like, a teenager punk. <laughs> yeah, no, I get yeah. that. I can very much relate to that, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then... <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Then, in terms of, kind of your sort of musical discovery in terms of you wanting to sort of go into music obviously doing vocals now in fun but was was vocals always what you were drawn to or did you sort of dabble in in playing instruments where did that kind of all come from yeah i I never (laughs) tried i i played like the flute in high school but i never tried like bass or guitar or drums or anything like that um i've thought about it but it's i just i personally don't think i have like the the patience for it (laughs) um and i yeah and so i spent so long going to shows you know i started at like 14 going to shows and then like 
when I hit 18 was like when I really started getting into hardcore and going to like hardcore shows in Seattle and I spent a really 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 long time going to shows and being like man there aren't a lot of women involved in bands or much like it's it's very male dominated which yeah. it still is but it's changing um and so when I was like 25 because I'm kind of old I'm 38 now so when I was like 25 um my ex was like let's start a band and I was like yeah let's start a band and it was kind of a joke we were called road rage and it was like a bit of a joke and then it got like kind of serious <laughs> but more of just like we like took it more seriously and wrote like real songs yeah um and it was hard because um i was living in boston at the time and again it was still very male dominated and we were we weren't like a terrible band we weren't the best band but i thought we would get maybe a little more respect than we did yeah and i think it was just because it was still i don't know kind of a new concept for the most part you know like the fact that it was like a, a woman fronting a band it was yeah. so slightly unusual um and so it was all fun and stuff and then we just stopped playing um and then i didn't think about it for a while until i moved to denver and um i was having a conversation with john and luke from modern life is war about how i missed being in a band and they were like, why don't you just start a band again? And I was <laughs> yeah. like, how do I do that? I live in a new city. I don't know anybody. What do I do? And so it took me like a year. And it was after everything came out about Jim Haskins from Champion that I was like, okay, I need to do this now. Yeah. And so, yeah, so vocals were kind of the thing for me, which is really interesting because I'm a very... I have a lot of social anxiety. Yeah. And so it's weird that I'm willing to like get up on a stage and <laughs> yeah. scream into a microphone and talk to people about stuff. Um, but it just, I felt very drawn to be able to kind of like voice yeah. my experience in hardcore. So you, uh, I'm going to sort of come back to, to that in a minute because I just, just want to sort yeah. of pull back a little bit. <laughs> but I went off on a No, no, no. That's... No, that's that's exactly what I want to hear. So don't worry about that. But so in terms of kind of your sort of then, so was Road Rage was that kind of the the sort of I guess the awakening sort of kind of of like trying out vo like what you could do vocally. Yes. Okay. Sure, it was. Yeah. So in those in those terms, then like, we what were you kind of was it just the fact that you hadn't seen many women within that scene and wanted to kind of put a female voice forward was that kind of the the reasoning behind it or am i making assumptions it wasn't the reasoning okay interesting the reason was very much just like uh, let's just start a band it would be fun i want to do it was more of i want to i feel like i need to do something more than just go to shows right okay so it wasn't even like the i'm I'm not seeing enough women. It was more of like, I've been going to shows for so long. I'm not booking shows. I'm not making zines. I'm not doing anything but going to shows. And I want to do something more for the scene. Yeah. And then as the band was going, I was like, man, 
there aren't a lot of women in hardcore, <laughs> like, in bands. So I think it kind of morphed into that. Right, okay. Um, yeah. And just, again, to, to pull back slightly, so you mentioned you grew up in Chicago. So yes. were you? was that kind of... Where did you sort of... Yeah. I guess become more involved in the scene was it in Chicago or was it when you moved it was when I moved to it was when I moved to Seattle for college um that I became more involved for sure and I think part of that was the Chicago punk scene was huge there were so many people and so when I moved to Seattle and kind of became part of the hardcore scene it was small and so everybody kind of knew everybody and so I think that that's where I kind of got more involved yeah. in the scene and because I, I always think for a lot of people that are within that world like going to shows and stuff it kind of makes being part of a band sort of attainable in, in some aspects so yeah. was there kind of any standout moment that you kind of thought like as you mentioned sort of like wanting to give back to the scene but was there kind of a gig that you can remember going to that you thought well I could do this I could give that a go and sort of be that person at all man that's a good question um I don't know I don't know if there was anything specific I think it was just I don't know I don't think there was anything specific no (laughs) It was just... Yeah, I wish there was this like pivotal moment that I was watching somebody. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I think it was just like, yeah. I mean, there are lots of people who do this. I could do it too. <laughs> um, and I sucked at first. I was te- I was a terrible vocalist at first. Like it took a long time for me to like figure out how to be a vocalist. So <laughs> I don't even think it was like. I think it might have been the second time around with Bomb that I was like, yeah, I can do this. And it was that, like, I, it was when I saw, I was at, at Gaines, I was at the at Fast in Gainesville, Modern Life is War played, and I always do one song with them that I did, like, like guest vocals on yeah. called Crack Sidewalk Surfer, and I did that song, and then after that, that's, like, the next morning, I was like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. And John and Luke were like, yeah, you can. <laughs> and so I think that that's what that's what it was was not even the first time around i think the first time around was like i was very naive about it yeah i think it was the second time around that i was like no i can actually like make this meaningful because like the first all the road rage songs were like ridiculous they were like just i don't know stupid songs yeah about stupid things and that was a huge part of wanting to do farmers just like man i miss when bands made me feel things yeah so and yeah just again just before we kind of delve really deeply into it but obviously like farm has kind of got sort of political underlyings and what a lot of what you're sort of speaking about has that sort of political edge to it so is that something that you've always kind of been interested in or is that something that's kind of come along later in life when you've kind of realized the state of not just your country but our country and the whole world is gone to shit sort of thing (laughs) um i grew up in a pretty political household okay um like very liberal political household like where my mom is quite a feminist and raised two very feminist daughters right um was very much like you can do anything you want and fuck anybody who thinks otherwise 
Um, and so I grew up like knowing about politics and knowing what was happening in the world. Um, and so, you know, as soon as I turned 18 and I was able to vote, I was voting. Like I just, I, I think I was lucky enough to grow up in a household that wanted to inform their kids about what was happening. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, you know, Chris who plays guitar is, very political, um, much more so than I am. Mm. Very well read. He's a he's a lawyer. Um, he's a public defender, and so which is like he's a lawyer for people who can't afford lawyers. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so he's very much giving back. Works for the people, and um, and so I think having him there has really helped it to become more political than it might have been if he wasn't. Yeah. So then, in terms of kind of, I guess your sort of growth, you sort of said Road Rage was a little bit sort of jokey, but yeah. kind of became a bit more serious, and then obviously you stopped doing shows and stuff. But what, were you sort of touring in that band, or was it just sort of more local shows? What what was the deal with that? Yeah, we just did local shows. Um, we went partly down the East Coast once, but I just like touring wasn't something I was interested right, in okay. at that time. I think I'd like, I switched my 20s and my 30s somehow. <laughs> and so in my 20s, I was like, no, I don't want to tour. I'll just play whatever shows. Um, and so we pretty much just played in New England. Um, but yeah, we didn't really tour. And so then with this band, when we started it, we started it as mainly being like, yeah, we just want to play local shows. And then we just got some momentum quickly and we're like, we should just tour. Yeah. Like, it'll be really fun. We can like go and travel and, and play shows. And then we ended up in Europe like a year earlier than we thought we would. Yeah. Um, and so now it's, we, we love it. We love touring. We love being able to like meet people and talk about things. And so it's been, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. And as you said, kind of dip from doing that band, you sort of realized there weren't many women in hardcore yeah. sort of thing. And so I guess from that aspect, because what what sort of what sort of like time frame are we talking when when Road Rage was around? What what sort yeah. of years? We were a band. We started in two thousand six. We were a band from like two thousand six to two thousand ten. Right. Okay. Um. So it was like at the like Have Heart and Shipwreck yeah. and Guns Up were like the biggest bands. Yeah. Like, yeah. In Boston, and so. Um, yeah, yeah, there were, yeah, it was, there was one band from Connecticut called, oh my gosh, my friend Danielle's going to hate me because he's in this <laughs> band, um, called Offsides, Right. she fronted, and then Punch was kind of like, at that time, like a little towards the end of it, Yeah. but for the most part, they're like, more, yeah, like a t at least in Boston, there weren't a ton, and then like, pretty much right after we stopped playing shows like all these bands started popping up in Boston that which was super awesome um, yeah but yeah it was it was a tough time I think it was partly tough because that was like one of the ultimate highlights of Boston hardcore were those years yeah so and we were just like this kind of like slightly crappy hardcore punk band and then there was half heart. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, the the reason I kind of asked is because, like, I think yeah. 
even like from my sort of memory and time frame like the only kind of bands that i can kind of pinpoint but they're not they're more on the metalcore edge than hardcore is kind of walls of jericho yeah so was it quite difficult like for you being a woman in that scene did you kind of get sort of any pushback like playing shows did you find it hard being sort of able to be vocal in such a male-dominated space and as you say like uh, Mm. the kind of peak era of of boston hardcore as well yeah that is a really good question um i felt pretty fortunate in boston at that time where i wasn't treated differently because i was a woman that's cool um yeah it was really great i do think people didn't take our band as seriously because of it yeah um I do think there were parts of that scene that were very elitist. Um, Not all of it, though, for sure. Mm. Um, But I definitely never felt at that time in Boston like um, I I was not welcome because I was a woman or I wasn't. Like, people didn't care what I had to say. Yeah. We definitely, like, seemed to, like, do well with, like, younger kids. And I think that that's true of like most bands right because younger kids are so new to the scene that yeah. they haven't been like corrupted by <laughs> what can happen in hardcore uh, and jaded and stuff so like they're very enthusiastic about bands mm. um and we did really well with like punks like punks loved us um i think just like kind of crossing over into that like boston hardcore scene was just not going to happen for us and i was totally okay with that yeah and obviously you've kind of touched upon it a little bit earlier but obviously during this sort of wave of of hardcore champion were a band that were sort of one of the i guess sort of landmark bands at that time but then obviously a few years after they broke up everything kind of came out that their vocalist jim was not a good dude in the slightest and you were sort of involved in in all of that now i could be completely wrong in my reading of of your story so that's kind of why i want you to get from the horse's mouth but my understanding was you kind of said stuff before all of this and weren't being listened to is that correct that is correct yeah (laughs) Um, so can you kind of tell me through a little bit of kind of what what happened and and your perspective of things yeah so i so i moved to seattle for college and I started kind of going to hardcore shows and, like, being part of the scene. And Jim was always really nice to me. Like, he was my... He was my friend. Yeah. Um, I thought we were friends. So he was my friend. Like, we hung out. Like, we went to shows together. Like, he was probably one of the people I spent the most time with. <clears throat> and there was, like, one night that he tried to do something inappropriate with me Mm. and I said no and kind of like over time people started like treating me differently and then I and then I found out many years later that like he had been telling people that I was like obsessed with him and like I tried to make out with him and like all of this stuff so he had like been behind my back like talking shit oh me because I rejected him yeah and so like I I eventually moved from Seattle because of like what he had done and like how he had 
ostracized me from people that I thought were my friends. Um, and I've seen a lot of those people since moving back and it's been really good. And like people have definitely grown and changed, which is awesome. Mm. Um, but there was like a moment where this was probably a couple months before everything came out about Jim and, um, I was talking to a friend about how excited I was that Stay Gold was playing uh, Rainfest because Stay Gold was and will always be one of my favorite bands. Yeah. Um, really great people, really great band, always very supportive. Those guys have always been very supportive. And, um, and the person said to me, oh, you know, I just think Champion is better and they're just such stand-up dudes. And so I told this person my entire story about Jim yeah. and they completely blew it off and so this was in 2016 that I like what happened between me and Jim was in 2002 yeah and this was 14 years later that somebody like blew me off like I expected it in 2002 that they're like oh you're a girl you're crazy whatever hmm. like that was like not unusual for hardcore right like there I could like name other guys <laughs> in the hardcore scene who did shitty things and said the girls were crazy when yeah. they weren't Right, but this was like 2016. Somebody does this to me, and then everything comes out about Jim. And I wake up to a text from that person who blew me off, saying, "I'm so sorry. I didn't believe you." Oh wow! And that was just like <laughs> that was so frustrating. Yeah, because it's like, why didn't you? Yeah, and so it's things have changed significantly which is awesome right like I think women are being heard more like people are taking allegations seriously um but it you know it took like 14 years for anything to happen yeah and the fact that people say they didn't know is bullshit everybody knew yeah everybody knew what he was doing but women couldn't we couldn't do anything about it yeah we were ignored or we were ostracized, or we were said we were crazy, you know, or we were blown off. Yeah. So that was like a huge part of starting the band. At the last Bean show, so I went to the last Bean show, yeah. the last two Bean shows, um, everybody was having conversations about what happened um, with Jim and with other people, that things have come out about them. And so... Um, there were all these little conversations and I was like, is anybody going to talk about it on stage? Yeah. And like the first night, nobody did. Not a single band said anything. And I was like, is this for real? Like nobody's going to say anything. The promise said like this kind of like vague thing, but like they kind of said something, but nobody else said anything. And so that second day, um, I was watching Modern Life is War <clears throat> and Jeff goes, Jeff goes, so there's there's been things that have been being talked about this weekend, and I'm not going to talk about it, but I'm going to have Kat talk about it. Holding <laughs> out on stage. <laughs> and I, like, fumbled through some, like, impromptu speech, kind of just about how people need to believe yeah. allegations and believe women and how, like, it's not just a boys club and like we like things need to be different and yeah. so I do think things have changed I do think things have changed a lot yeah and yeah 
In terms of kind of, because when everything kind of sort of came out, it was sort of, I guess, the early days of kind of social media and, and things like that. Yeah. And I don't want to kind of, I'm kind of being devil's advocate a little bit here. And obviously, yeah. if you don't feel it's appropriate, then please tell me to shut up. But, <laughs> but if this kind of thing, because I think obviously a lot of people now are sort of, are more aware of, of these kind of things and are a lot more confident to speak out about it. So do you think if your story or even the, the, the story that actually came out about Jim had happened in this kind of generation, people would have taken it more seriously straight off the bat kind of thing? I'm not sure because recently, well, like in July or sometime August maybe, all of these allegations about Sweet Peak came out and what have happened with that. Yeah. Like, nothing's happened with that. And that that was one of the things that, like, at the last Bane show, everybody was talking about. They were like, so is Sweet Pete going to get called out now? Because everybody knew about Pete and underage girls. Yeah. Like, it was like a joke in Boston. Like, it was, it was, it was, everybody knew it. I knew about it, and I didn't say it or do anything. Hmm. Like, I knew he was dating an underage girl. You know? Everybody knew. And nothing's happened with that. Like, he's maybe gone into hiding, but is anybody going to do anything about it? And I think part of what's different is geographically where those two people were located. I think that the East Coast is still very male-dominated. It's still go- it's always going to be very male-dominated. I don't think women are going to be taken as seriously mm. as the West Coast, where the West Coast is definitely more progressive Yeah, in the scene. And you see it with bands in the scene, right? It's just more progressive. People are more... They, they definitely are more PC. They definitely think more about, like, equity and, like, people being held accountable than on the East Coast. Mm. I think the East Coast just sweeps things under the rug. Mm. And, and I don't I don't think a lot of people would disagree with me about that. And if they would, they are more than welcome to have a conversation <laughs> with me about what's being done about Sweet Pete then. So, from your perspective, like, talking more sort of generally, I guess, like... Yeah. What do you think needs to be done in terms of people being held more accountable? Because I think, like, just without kind of going into the whole backstory and everything, there was kind of an issue that happened over here in the UK, um, I think about a year or two years ago, that was kind of similar, like somebody who was very much involved in the, the DIY scene got called out for for shitty behavior towards women and yeah. that person has now just gone into hiding and gone off grid and so like what what's your what's your view on things what do you think needs to happen in these situations yeah um i think it's a person that it's a person by person kind of thing that needs to happen i yeah. do think that every case is based on what happened i am a very i'm a very strong advocate for people who have like raped somebody to like not exist on the planet anymore Mm. but when i think about like there it's such a huge gray area right like everything that happened with jim like it was so many underage girls yeah so many inappropriate behaviors right that's very different than like i don't know somebody just being shitty when they're 20 
and like trying to sleep with somebody and like not you know like not taking just no for an answer and then growing up and being like man what I did was fucked up yeah I've learned from it and so I think like my biggest thing is like I want people to take accountability for their actions and then take steps to improve as a human yeah that's my biggest thing and like you know um I don't know if you've heard about like what happened with Ryan Briggs who was the bass player of Hap Heart that like he he was he has I won't say he's been accused because it's it's true like multiple he's abused multiple women in mental uh, mental sexual and physical ways mm. and I know multiple of those women and Ryan Briggs was one of my best friends yeah and so that case was really hard where I said to him, you know, I care about you and I'm always going to care about you, but you have to get help. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is now six years later. I think he's finally seeing a therapist and getting help. Yeah. And it's like, yes, that's what I want. I want you to improve as a person because often what you're doing, just like bullying or anything like that, what you're doing is based on your own mental needs. And so, um, I, th- I think like people need to take accountability they need to say I fucked up and then there needs to be steps to restore whatever harm repair whatever harm has been done and so I'm a teacher and we do something called restorative justice which they're starting to do in the criminal justice system yeah. and so it's this like taking accountability for our actions and taking steps to repair harm and to improve and it's the same thing right that's that's what needs to happen and i don't want people to just go in hiding because number one they're probably going to end up really bitter yeah and worse off and number two i don't i don't want our scene to be that i don't want us to be ostracizing having been ostracized <laughs> yeah. for coming out about what i said about somebody I don't want us to do that to people if they can improve. Yeah. And then, obviously, if we kind of get back on track in terms of things with farm, obviously you mentioned that kind of because of your experiences with Jim that you felt like that was a big part of this band, sort of the message and everything that it's speaking about. And so, I don't know, like, because obviously I know we've been speaking about it now for, for a little bit, but... Did you, when the band f- formed, did you want that kind of background and story to be there for all to see initially? Or did you want it to, did the band be of its own values when you first started? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't think, yeah, I think that leading up to forming the band, I talked so much about what happened Mm. with Jim that I was okay by that point. And so, like, there's... I don't... Like, It Follows is about somebody totally different other than Jim. And so, um, like, we don't have a single song about him. Yeah. Um, It definitely, like, it was more political to start we started our band like right before Trump was elected. Okay. And so like most of the songs on our demo are about Trump. Yeah. Um, and over time it's changed 
to being about more general political things. Um, and then, yeah, It Follows was about one person in particular that we knew who did a, did his shitty thing and just, like, moved around and was like, that's how I'm going to get away from being an asshole. Yeah. It's by moving to all these different places and running away from my problems. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think it wasn't... It didn't feel the need for it to be, like, about the misogyny are banned to be about kind of like the problems with hardcore. Yeah. While I talk about that, most of the songs aren't about that. Yeah. And then sort of in terms of kind of the the bands, as you said, like things kind of started moving quite quickly in terms of sort yeah. of momentum and, and things like that. So what do you think kind of the, the catalyst for that was? Do you just think it's kind of right time right place or like was there something else that's kind of helped you on the way like what was your personal perspective of those things i think it's a couple things um definitely right time right place denver is a hub for amazing hardcore right now the Mm. scene is so supportive so enthusiastic there's so many bands um it's hard living in the Pacific Northwest now, knowing like what's happening in Denver and not getting to be part of it. Yeah. Um, while we have amazing bands in the Pacific Northwest, it's just different. It's a very established scene. And so, um, it's just different than in Denver where it's just like everybody goes to every show. Right. Yeah. Um, So I think that was part of it. I think part of it is that it was the right time in that like it, was a norm now to not have an all-male lineup yeah white male lineup right um and i think part of it like yeah i mean we we were we just played a couple shows with defeater of modern life is war and like that's just partly because i've known those people for i've known Derek for 17 years like we've known each other since i moved to boston and so um and i mean he could also have any band he wants play any show and they asked us but um yeah i think part of it is just like having some friends who have been in the scene for a long time help with like like greg bennick was huge in helping us with europe and like get and play fluff and stuff like that yeah so yeah i think it's just being partly being taken seriously yeah too yeah and not to kind of harp on about it and and i don't want to to kind of point the the finger at your age either but but you you but you mentioned obviously that kind of you are a bit more sort of 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 a quote-unquote veteran in the scene sort of thing yeah and obviously we are seeing more more women in hardcore more people of color more people of all sort of genders whatever you you want to sort of quote them as sort of thing now kind of doing stuff in hardcore and punk sort of thing and i know even though your band is relatively young in its sort of career kind of thing you've obviously had a bit more sort of life experience and things so when you see sort of these younger bands coming through like what's your kind of take on it do you feel that like you need to sort of educate them a bit about like where things have come from and so not 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 to say like that they're in a privileged position because of the way the scene is now because it's definitely right. not the case but like 
I don't know like how how do you kind of see it now being this thriving scene where it once wasn't I get really excited about young bands um they're some of our favorite bands to play with yeah there's this young band from Denver called Tuck Knee who are just like I wish I was as cool as them when I was their age like they're so cool and I think that a lot when I see younger bands I'm like god you guys are so cool like I was such a dork when I was your age and I think a huge part of that is just like the internet right yeah the internet has made hardcore so accessible and I think that's actually a really great thing for the most part Mm. um and so I I love seeing younger bands and I love seeing how excited they are and I don't I don't ever want to be that like kind of older jaded like I know about hardcore more than you yeah kind of person I do I do I'm not a big fan of the whole like new metal metalcore scene yeah that's like a whole other thing that that's not really my thing but like if I think about like the hardcore and punk bands that I know of like I just I think they're wonderful and I'm really excited about them yeah and like 15 years ago or 10 years ago I might have been that jaded person that was like fuck all these bands these people are stupid I was very much like jaded about hardcore for a while and so I get excited about all of these younger bands and I do think that they they do know a lot of like the very pivotal the very most the most important bands in hardcore they know about there's like I like the early 2000s like doesn't exist to most of them like they don't know American Nightmare or Hope Con or like yeah. Count Me Out or any of the stuff that like influences us yeah but I think that's okay I think that's okay yeah. so um but I, there are a whole bunch of like these like early 2000s style bands happening in the US right now like you have Rejection Pack yeah and you have time and distance and you have chemical or time and time and pressure sorry and you have chemical fix and they're all like very early 2000s style hardcore um that obviously we're all like kind of similar in age and probably all grew up listening to like go it alone yeah so like all of our bands kind of have that influence and these younger kids love our bands that's cool so And you touched on kind of obviously like when fan first started, obviously that like it wasn't sort of like the the sort of uh, misogynistic sort of things that you were maybe approaching. It there was a little more of the political view, and obviously, yeah. like I don't know, like from if you were just to take your band on face value and didn't do any research into what you guys were all about, like it could come across as quite sort of a negative sort of out. Pouring oh, yeah. <laughs> in, in some form, but like, do you kind of see like the positivity in that negativity? In like, not just for you personally as using it as an outlet, but like getting that message across and having those positive conversations, whether it be political or whether it just be a general conversation about what is happening in the world. Yeah, that is. Yeah, we were kind of asked that that similar question by somebody at Fluff. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know <laughs> our songs are really negative and it's like that's like 
bullshit. Not everybody wants to like, like, yes, like as like a white privileged male, sure, it's like easy to sing about that, right? Yeah. But for me, it's like, like I didn't, like I, I am, I grew up like upper middle class, so like I am privileged in that way. But I did grow up in a household that like had a lot of trauma, and like I do have depression, and I do have like mental health issues, and like if I were to like write songs that were positive, it would be so fake. Yeah. Like, it's just not what I can write about like the things that I write about come from that dark place and so I think a lot of people can relate to that Mm. they can relate to those feelings they can relate to the anger um you know like our we were recording an album in February and one of the songs the last song of that album I wrote about a friend of mine who committed suicide in June and just like what I would give to switch places with her because Mm. she was so important to me and to so many other people. And I talked about that at our last show in Denver and I probably had like 15 people come up to me and be like, I had this friend die or I had this happen or I can totally relate to that. Like it's so relatable. Those sad things are so relatable. And I think people are starting, people are learning that it's okay to talk about those sad things. Yeah. And so we do try to make sure that when we have conversations and interactions with people, we talk about positive things and, Mm. like, what can we do now? And so, like, on stage, too, it's like we talk about, you know, like, our songs are about negative things, but, like, all talk is about how we just, like, people just talk and talk, but what can we do to actually try and make a difference? And so we try to have those productive conversations Hmm. where it's, like, it can feel hopeless, but what can we do to make things better? Yeah. And so while the songs are negative, I think we do try to keep conversation more productive. Yeah. And you mentioned... Um, that you're obviously your day job you're, you're a teacher yeah. so I always find it kind of interesting like I don't know for some reason teaching and hardcore seems to go hand in hand for some reason <laughs> it does, yeah. but I always kind of find it interesting to, so do your students know about your band are they aware of your band in any capacity oh not not my current students my students in my school in Colorado know about my band okay so what's um, what's their kind of view on on what you what you do Oh, they're young, so they don't get it. (laughs) They're not, like, middle school or high school age, you know. They're, like, elementary. Right, okay. They're, like, why are you screaming? (laughs) Um, Or they're, like, that's weird. You know, they they think it's strange, but they think it's cool. Yeah. Um, I also used to play roller derby. Oh, awesome. I mean, I think think those go hand in hand where they're, like, that's just as weird as you screaming into a microphone. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, they, um, they, I think they... I don't know. I think they're too young to understand <laughs> it. Yeah. Fair enough. And yeah. obviously, the the way that we kind of met very briefly in this conversation happened was was through you playing at Fluff last year. Yeah. And you mentioned obviously coming to Europe a lot quicker than you kind of planned and expected. So, yes. What was your kind of perspective of, of Europe and sort of was it your first time coming here in in, in a t- touring capacity? Yeah, yeah, it was my first time touring. I think it was all of our first time yeah. going to Europe touring. Um, it was amazing. It was, 
difference in that, like, politics is just part of the scene. Yeah. Um, which was so cool to see. Everybody was really well educated on what was happening politically, not just in their country, but like all over the world. Yeah. And like, I learned so much that I didn't know. And it also, like, I, I hate to say it, but it like almost made you feel a little bit better being from the U.S. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, everywhere is fucked up. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not just the U.S. They're having these problems everywhere. Um, and I, so I think that was like, it was kind of like, all right, yeah, but you're do- like, it, it was like everybody was doing more about it. Yeah. Than we are. Everybody here is just sitting around, like, waiting for the 2020 election, hoping something, like, everybody's excited about an impeachment that's not going to do shit. So, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, um, it was, I, we loved Europe. We were so happy to play there and have these, like, meaningful conversations every night. Mm. Um, and it was just so not, you know, it, we've definitely had, like, good conversations in the U.S., but it's just... I, I felt like I learned so much yeah. that I wouldn't have known if I didn't tour Europe. And obviously, like I think Fluff's a bit of a, a different sort of animal because yeah. of what it is. But even like in the smaller shows, were you finding that maybe people were kind of being introduced and opened up to your band? Because I know personally, like even though like you were one of the bands that I'd earmarked, I'm going to watch. And like a lot of the people that I was with came with me because of I was like no we need to go see this band sort of thing Aww. so like <laughs> did you did you find that that was the case kind of uh, a lot of the shows that people would kind of work sort of being introduced to your band in in a live setting rather than through the internet um oh that's a good question yeah I think that yeah I think that a lot of people didn't know our band when they came to see us Play. I do think like almost every show we played there were like a couple people who like went to see us play yeah um but I think like being a small like hardcore band from the US when there's like a million of us I didn't expect people to really know who we were and so we were pretty pleasantly surprised at like every show by having like even like one person like singing along to <laughs> yeah. a song we're like this is weird okay um, but yeah, I think a lot of people were intro- yeah, they were introduced to us by seeing us play their city. Yeah. And that was pretty cool. Um, fluff was like <laughs> fluff was unreal. Yeah. It was unreal how many people came to watch us. We did we didn't expect that. Yeah. And um that was really special. That's probably the best show we will ever we will ever play. That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah. is this kind of um, me being hopeful? But does this mean there's plans to come back to these shores there, in some yeah, plans? There are, and not this year, but next year we're gonna come back. We're doing, we're putting out a record this year and doing a couple tours in the U.S. And then, yeah, our plan is 2021. I know it's far away. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with school schedules. And yeah, of course. As soon as we can do it, yeah, that's our plan. Um, is to come back in some capacity that's cool and play at some point so yeah I, I kept trying to be like Chris can we just go back next year <laughs> yeah. like we can't afford it yeah. and it's like but I just want to go back and we keep getting we keep getting emails from people who are like 
hey, will you play this next year? Or can you come back next year? And we were like, oh my gosh, I can't, we can't, <laughs> but I, I want to. Um, yeah. But, you know, I definitely have to get Ellie's Chris on board. He's my, <laughs> he's my number one in yeah. the band, so. No, yeah. that's fair enough. Um, and yeah. just before I kind of wrap things up, you mentioned obviously yeah. recording. So when can we expect to hear new music? Yeah, we're um, the tentative release for our full length um, is in June. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll most definitely keep an eye out for for Thank that when you. it comes around. Um, Kat, how I like to sort of round these things off is to ask ask my guests what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So, okay. so what is your favorite fam song that you like to play live, and why? Oh, my favorite, <laughs> my favorite song we play live is "It Follows." Yeah, and it's because of the beginning of that song is so good. Yeah, <laughs> I love the beginning <laughs> of that song, and I like I'm struggling so much because I'm like I don't know if we have an "It Follows" on this new record. <laughs> um, it's like can we just re-record it and put it on this record? So I love that song Perfect. so much. Brilliant. Yeah. Kat, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, thank you for having me. As I say, looking forward to, to hearing new music and all the best for 2020. Awesome. You too. Thank no, you. Take care. Bye. Bye. So there we have it, folks. Again, a massive thank you to Kat for taking some time out of her day to have a little chat with me. Uh, as always, you can keep up to date with everything that Farmer doing. Uh, on all their various social media platforms which will be linked in the description of this episode uh, that's pretty much it for another week going to leave this outro very short and sweet but please remember if you've enjoyed this show please rate, subscribe, review on whatever platform you're listening to really helps the show get more eyes and ears on it as I say I'm currently looking for, for more work so any way you can help push this up and get more eyes and get this out into the world maybe i can do this full time that'll be fucking rad um then it'll be really really helpful but until next time thank you again for stopping by the justin insight podcast and i will see you soon